Amen. That's the mission of the church. One heart, one life at a time. Well, good morning. Welcome again to New Stand Church. I'm Pastor Steve. Uh, I'm glad you joined us. Uh, I'm not preaching a, an official series this month. I'm more just sharing some thoughts and things that God has placed on my heart. And this morning, I want to talk about faithfulness that flows out of intimacy with God and the blessings that we experience as a result from it. And I want to do that in kind of a a non-prosperity gospel sort of way this morning. Uh, Once you start following Jesus, once you invite him into your life, the Holy Spirit begins to direct your steps in a different way, in a more personal way. Knowing him transforms your whole world. And you desire deep in your being to live in a way that expresses the love that you then share with God. Now, don't think for a moment that God wasn't involved leading and directing your steps before you knew him. Because from the moment you were conceived, God has been trying to win your heart. But once you make that leap of faith to trust Jesus. You can often see how God was at work in the past leading you up to the moment where you accepted him. And it absolutely blows your mind. If you came to Jesus after you were a little kid and remember that moment, you look back and you think, oh my goodness, you have always been there. You've always loved me. You have always been working in my life. It increases your love and your desire to please him, just seeing him at work. Life, the the highs, the lows, everything in it, all of a sudden seems to fit into God's plan for your life. It's pretty cool. And if you don't know Jesus, I'm telling you, he has a way of redeeming all of it. All your history, all your past, and peace and joy or the result. But there's still, even once you become a Christian, there are still times when we wonder, God, what on earth are you up to? And I wish I could tell you differently, but that is still part of life. It's still part of walking with Jesus. And I want to say this morning, don't get discouraged if you are in a season where you're wondering, God, what in the world are you up to? Uh, It happened to the disciples while they were literally following Jesus and hearing him speak to them. Do you remember when Jesus was talking to the disciples about leaving this earth to prepare a place for them? Let's take a look at that. It's John 14, one through four. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to the place I am going. I imagine the disciples sitting around the room uh, listening to Jesus teach and, and they're all shaking their heads like, yeah, that, that's great, Jesus. Uh, you said it. I believe it. 
but none of them really understood what Jesus was talking about. And I also imagine Thomas sitting around watching everybody else shake their heads in agreement, thinking, what? (laughs) I I have no clue what he just said. Why is everybody shaking their heads? Because I don't get it. Thomas was the only one brave enough to stick up his hand and say, hey, what are you talking about? Look at verse five. No, we don't know, Lord, said Thomas. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Church, how many times does this describe our life? God says it. We read it in the word. It's got to be true. Some of our friends are like shaking their heads like, yeah, amen. But we have no clue. Sometimes it's hard to be faithful when we can't see the way, when we can't see how God's going to make it the way. But here's the thing. Even when we don't have it all figured out, God still expects us to follow him. He still expects us to be faithful to our relationship with him, even if it appears like we're currently in the dark. We're going to do Christmas in July this morning, sort of. Uh, We're going to look at two accounts that happen around the Christmas narrative in scripture. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 2 and Luke chapter 2. Now, you might not immediately see the connection between these two passages, but I think together they paint a picture of this faithfulness and intimacy with God and the blessing that results if we walk in it. So let's start with Luke chapter 2. On the eighth day, now that's eight days after Jesus was born, so this is like Christmas time, right? On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. God has known you since before you were conceived too. He knows you, he loves you, he's been calling to you. When the time came for the purification rite required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So we've got two turtle doves here. Uh, No French hens, but it's still Christmas in July. So so Mary and Joseph sacrificed two doves or two pigeons in, in obedience and faithfulness to the command of God. God spoke it and they followed it. Now let's go to Matthew chapter two. There's a connection here. Even though this was way after Christmas, and I, I know that your nativity sets and my nativity sets have wise men in the nativity set, but they're not supposed to be there. So let's pick up with Matthew chapter two, verse one. After, now notice it doesn't say right after, it just says after. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, 
Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it arose and have come to worship him. Jump down to verses 9 through 12. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed, which, just by the way, means they probably didn't follow the star from where they were all the way there. They saw it. The star said, hey, a king has been born in Jerusalem, kind of like uh, astrology. And then they were overjoyed when they saw it again when they finally showed up. So I'm really messing with we three kings, but I'm I'm sorry. Uh, On coming to the house, not the manger, they saw the child, not the baby, with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. We know that they were warned because Herod was going to try to kill Jesus. And scholars think that Jesus could have been as old as two because that was Herod's decree, right? Kill all the babies two years and younger. The wise men entered the house and they presented Jesus with three types of gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Notice it doesn't say how many men showed up. It just, there was three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And just as a kind of a side note, myrrh is sort of an odd gift to give a baby. Uh, It was more valuable than gold in Jesus's day. Uh, It was kind of a perfume, but it was more like embalming fluid. It's a weird gift, but sort of prophetic for a child who would sacrifice for the sins of the world. The Holy Spirit is obviously at work in the story. God is directing people's steps. He is speaking. And in the dream, the Magi are warned not to return to Herod. And the angel then appears to Joseph in a dream, telling him to flee towards Egypt. Let's pick up with Matthew 2.13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. We know that this is a fulfillment of the prophecy that was in Isaiah, that God would call his son out of Egypt. And this is a really, really difficult time for Mary and Joseph. Imagine if someone was trying to kill your baby, if a king was after your son. But here's what I want you to see. In both passages, Mary and Joseph are continuing with a lifestyle of faithfulness and sacrifice and obedience. And I believe God blesses them. When Mary and Joseph go up to the temple to purchase a sacrifice that the law required for an oldest son, Mary and Joseph did not have it easy. Well, how do you know that? Well, I'm glad you asked. They were dirt poor. And the reason I know that is because the law doesn't necessarily say 
to bring two doves or two pigeons. The law says bring a lamb and a dove or a pigeon. But if you can't afford a lamb, you can buy two doves or two pigeons. Here's what's cool about offering your heart and life to Jesus. And this is point number one if you're taking notes. God takes into account your capacity when he looks at your contribution. Now that is cool. Let me say that again. God takes into account your capacity to give when he looks at the contribution that you bring. No matter what your status, God makes a way for everyone to participate on the same level of faithfulness. You you don't have to be rich to love on God and bring a gift that pleases him. Everyone has the same opportunity to express thanks and gratitude for God. God takes into account your capacity when he looks at your gift. That's why tithing is the same for everyone. A tenth belongs to God. It's fair. No matter what your income, everyone can be 100% faithful to God. God doesn't look at someone else's capacity and measure your gift according to it. He measures your contribution towards your capacity. But here's the flip side. Jesus does measure our contribution with our capacity. I have uh, two balloons this morning, and the red one is definitely bigger than the yellow one. We're often impressed by the large gifts, right? If, if it's Christmas time or your birthday and somebody gives you a card, if somebody puts a $100 bill in it and somebody gives you a $1 bill on the other side, you'd rather have the $100 bill than the $1 bill, right? Would anybody rather have the $1 bill? If so, you're just sick. You're just wrong. Uh, but God doesn't look at our giving like that. God looks at our gift compared to our capacity. So this yellow balloon isn't as big, but you can't feel it, but it's much fuller. It's almost at capacity. This big balloon has like lots of room to grow. It's not at capacity, and that's how God views our giving. Do you you, you know where I'm going? You know the story in the Bible that I'm thinking of? It's the gift at the temple, right? And what does Jesus do? Jesus stands watching people give at the temple. And and just so we're all on the same page, like Jesus always sees what we offer him. And he also knows our capacity. And he lifts up that widow's two copper coins as as the best gift of the day. That's what he's impressed with. And the disciples are probably sitting there thinking, well, what good is that going to do? As far as running this temple and everything that goes on here, what, what's two little copper coins? But her contribution represented 100% of her capacity. It was everything she had. You see, a small gift can reflect our faithfulness and our love towards God. I believe when Mary and Joseph bought those two doves or two pigeons, 
that they walked away total, in total obedience to God. Second, God still looks at giving in terms of sacrifice, even though killing things is no longer required. Mary and Joseph knew that Jesus was God's son. And if there was any way they could have sacrificed to buy a lamb and a dove, I believe they would have, but they couldn't. And because of that, I think those two doves or those two pigeons represented a sacrifice for them. But when you think about Mary and Joseph, they made many sacrifices in following God's plan, right? They sacrificed their reputations in having a child out of wedlock. They sacrificed their plans. They're now fleeing to Egypt. Did Joseph have to sacrifice his career? Is that why they were poor? Is that why Jesus asked John, his disciple, to adopt his mother on the cross? We don't know. But we never see a trace of resentment in Mary or Joseph. They offered those doves in faithfulness. They offered their lives willingly. Remember what Mary said to the Lord? May it be as you have said. And she had a child out of wedlock. What I find exceptional in these two passages of scripture, Matthew 2 and Luke 2, is that even though, even when they were buying doves, God knew the camels were coming. Not more than two years after that young family struggled to buy two doves, God was sending camels with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And God's timing is always perfect. His blessings come when they are needed. If we are faithful with a little, God will supply all our needs. I'm not promising you that camels are going to show up your door with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I'm saying God sees and blesses sacrificial obedience and that he will supply all your needs. Look at 2 Corinthians 9 because it says it better than I ever could. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. Mary and Joseph, I believe, were faithful when they had a little. And I know that they were going to be generous when they had more. They were going to be obedient to God's plan. There will always be seasons in life where we have to sacrifice to be faithful. God will lead you and I through those seasons watching our contribution versus our capacity. He'll watch our spirit. He'll watch our sacrifice. He'll, he'll watch to see if we are living generously. He wants to know that our heart is his and that it's where our treasure is. That's why God takes it so seriously when you and I aren't generous. 
In Malachi, God literally says that not tithing is robbing God. And I think that's harsh. Um, It seems like when we read that scripture that God is almost trying to bully us into it. But is he? Who are we really robbing by not being faithful to God? The, The person that is robbed is the person who ends up with less, right? I think robbing God hurts us more than God. Look at that passage in Malachi 3. It's Malachi 3.10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great You won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. God, I think, in that passage says that not tithing, not giving, robs us of God's intent to bless us like he wants to. Faithfulness, sacrifice, intimacy with God leads to blessings. We cannot outgive God. Amen? Amen. Last point, generosity allows Jesus to be on the move. Mary and Joseph are told by the angel to flee to Egypt. Merry Christmas, time for a move. How do you live abroad in another country when you couldn't afford a lamb to offer for God's only son? You do that with a trunk of gold brought on a camel. (laughs) You pay for that with frankincense and selling it. You sell myrrh to a group of people in Egypt that are famous for making mummies. Mary and Joseph were faithful and obeyed the Lord and God provided for everything they needed. He didn't provide so they could live extravagantly. He funded their obedience. Here's my challenge for you and me this morning. If, if everyone matters, if we're growing to 651, where will our generosity let Jesus move? I want to thank you for being a generous church. I want to thank you for hearts that long to show people Jesus. But I also want to say, you know what? God's not done moving here yet. There are still people that need to know Jesus. Amen. He's not done yet. We are called to be a worshiping congregation of 651, but it's not about 651. It's about the one. We're not there yet, but we will be. Faithfulness and blessing. God funds obedience so that we can go where he calls us to go. I want to circle all the way back to Thomas this morning and his not understanding the call of God, not seeing the way to where Jesus was going. If you're not in the habit of living generously or or tithing, I know that this doesn't make sense. I know you can see it in the word and you can shake your head and say, yep, it's right there. But faithfulness is a leap of faith sometimes. And I wanna encourage you to take a step in obedience. Even if it's a baby step, just Just start moving as God is leading. And I believe you cannot outgive your heavenly father. 
our obedience will allow Jesus to be on the move in people's hearts. Let's pray. God, we're so excited for the plans that that you have for us. And we're thrilled by the way that you're gonna use each and every one of us, our hearts, our generosity, our sacrifice, our obedience. God, I thank you for a church that even in the midst of a pandemic has been generous to show people Jesus. God, neighbors have been taking care of neighbors. People have been sharing their testimonies. It has been an absolute joy to hear how you have been on the move in us and through us. But God, we know as a church, you are not done with us yet. So God, use all of us. Judge our contribution by our capacity. And God, we we pray that you would increase our capacity so that we can be even more generous. Not that you would fund extravagance, but God, that we would remain faithful to you in all things. And all God's people said, amen. Amen, church.